0: But the point is, how do you put a value on your time? Because what she does in half a day would take me a whole day. So what is the value of a day a week of my life? It's almost priceless to me. If they can do 80% as well as you, you should give it to them.
1: Today's guest expert is the amazing Chris Croft. Now, if you are not familiar with Chris, let me just say, he's more than a big deal in the training world To date, he's trained an impressive 87,000 plus people face-to-face and has a 94% rate of repeat business. And that is just the tip of the iceberg with the most viewed project management course in the world on any platform, it's called Project Management Simplified and the most viewed happiness course in the world called Weekly Happiness Tips. Chris is no stranger to making waves on LinkedIn Learning. In fact, he's ranked as one of the top five management skills authors in the world. Impressive, right? Now, if you're trying to do the math on just how many people are benefiting from his wisdom every day, well, let me help you out. His library of 36 courses gets 22,000 views a day. A day, folks. Wow, right? And wait till you hear this. His online programs have been viewed over 18 million times in total. 18 million. What? Talk about having an impact. Well, today, Chris is here to share some of that wisdom with us. We're going to talk about a topic that's dear to many and entrepreneurs' heart, including my own, and that is avoiding burnout. Chris has developed a counterintuitive success strategy that not only helps you stave off burnout, but sets the stage for sustainable business success. In this episode, you'll hear about Chris's own entrepreneurial journey and how his resilience and unyielding passion have driven his successful career. And plus, he'll share some game-changing tips to help you avoid burnout, things like doing something you truly love, learning how to say no, why you should consider cutting 50% of your customers, and how to delegate more and do it effectively. We'll also talk about the importance of sharing your burdens with similar people, the power of continuous learning and upskilling, and why it's not all about the money, but the value you bring. He's totally speaking my language there. So before we dive into this super episode with Chris Croft, I've got a tiny favor to ask. If you're finding value in the Master Your Business podcast, why not subscribe, rate and review the show? Your feedback is our fuel, and it helps us to create more of the content that you love. Plus, it helps others master their business, just like you. And you know what? They say sharing is caring. So if there's an entrepreneur in your life who might be wrestling with burnout, or could use a fresh perspective on their business strategy, feel free to pass this episode along to them. They'll be grateful you did, and honestly, so will I. Okay. Grab your notepad, your tea or coffee, and get ready for an episode. That could revolutionize the way you do business and better yet, help you avoid burnout. Chris, thank you so, so much for joining us in the Master Your Business show. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Welcome.
0: Well, thank you for thank you for inviting me. And yeah, it's great to be here. Hope we can cover some good stuff
1: absolutely well folks you've already heard the amazing uh, background to chris but i want to learn a little bit more about you chris you know i i know that you worked in engineering and then you went off and you started your own business what caused you to embark on that journey of entrepreneurship in the first instance
0: well i'm tempted to say getting fired several times in a row but i think i think probably i was always destined to be self-employed actually I'm, I'm not very good at being told what to do you know to petty bosses who give you impossible targets or who get upset because you arrive at one minute past nine or eight thirty-one. or and I think probably I was always destined to be self-employed and I had I had two horrible bosses in a row so I was working in manufacturing running factories and that's that's quite high pressure anyway and I think I was quite good at it but it's just a really difficult job and So one job didn't go very well. They hired me to turn around a little company that was, I think, impossible to turn around. I'm I'm looking back now telling myself it was impossible and I just couldn't do it. I'll never know whether it was possible. And so in the end, they closed down the whole place and got rid of me as well. And I think their plan was, you know, to get somebody in who was disposable and he'll either do it, which is great or he won't, in which case we just ditched the whole thing. So that didn't go very well. Still nags at me slightly. And then I went somewhere else to a very successful company run by a really horrible man who's dead now. And he he just i he just made bad decisions all the time. And he was he was racist. He was sexist. He ran. He wanted the machines run without guards on. So people got their fingers chopped off. I mean, it was really seriously awful there. And I fought him every step of the way to argue with him and say, this is wrong. You shouldn't do this. And in the end, he fired me. And I'm proud of that, really. But the two bosses in a row made me just think there's got to be something better than this. And that was why I left manufacturing. I just thought I don't want to spend my whole life sorting out factories for ungrateful bosses. And the workforce were quite ungrateful as well, because they usually thought my job was to screw more work out of them, which is not quite true, but semi So I went to work for the university, Bournemouth University as a lecturer. And at last I found the thing I was born to do. I loved it, but they made me redundant from there as well after four years, they closed down the whole department I was in. And at that point, I just, I had a few customers of my own, which I used to go and do training for when I was on holiday to make ends meet. And I just thought I could do this. I could do this self-employed. And so that was the sort of final push. And I think if the university hadn't made me redundant i think i'd still be working there now on 10 percent of the pay i well, less than 10 percent of what i earn now i mean it's, i earn 10 times as much now but i think i'd still be there because you have to be given the push i don't think i would have had the guts to leave and go self-employed if i hadn't been pushed mm. and that's one of the big things i've learned actually which is if you're made redundant it's it's often the best thing that happens to you it doesn't feel like it but it's often the best thing that ever happens to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happened to me and how I started my business too, Chris was it was literally, I got made redundant and thought, oh, what am I going to do? I'm going to start my own business. Yeah. And yeah, here I am two and a half years later. And what about you? How many you've years? You've never now? looked back. Never.
0: <laughs> 25 years. But <laughs> I think to have, to have the guts to do it without being pushed, you, you'd have to be quite a person. I mean, people do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can do a side hustle, of course, So, you know, something like training, for example, you could do the odd bit at the weekends or in the evenings, you could do Zoom training for American people in your evening, if you're in England or whatever, or you could take the odd day off to do it. And if it goes well, you could start to get a feeling that you could do it. So, you know, you could possibly do it, or even then maybe if you could be part-time, you could be part-time employed and part-time side hustle. And then your side hustle becomes your main thing. and, And then you can finally ditch the employer. So there are ways, but it's difficult. And being made redundant seems to be the commonest way that pushes people into it.
1: Over the past 25 years, Chris, where have you, like, what have been the highlights? What have been those major ups and major downs as well? Maybe you might share those with listeners.
0: I think the major down is probably when I was doing my job over in South Wales. Nothing wrong with South Wales, by the way. It was great. Everyone was really friendly. But when I was working there, I had this boss used to ring me up every day and shout at me and tell me I was useless and things and you start to wonder whether he's right you know and you start to think it's amazing how you know I've always thought that stress is kind of for wimps and why don't they just man up and but but actually when it happens to you it, it really is real and that drip 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 of every day being criticized you do start to really doubt and think, is it me? Maybe I am no good at this job and things. And I, I I got pretty down working there. And when he finally said, do you want to just take six months pay and go? I was like, yes. <laughs> and that was so good to get out. So I, I've learned that, you know, stress is real and it happens to everybody. It's not a sign of weakness at all. Just because it's that steady pressure, it just gets you. And that's probably the lowest point I've been at. And I remember thinking, I wish I could do something else other than management. But What? you know, I can't even be a plumber or a builder because I've got no skill. I mean, those people are highly skilled. I can't just go off and do a manual job. I can't do anything, really. I've got a fancy Cambridge degree and a fancy MBA. And I I can't actually do anything useful apart from be a manager. And even that's arguably not useful. And I remember just thinking, you know, I, I could perhaps be a maths teacher. But to do that, you have to do a year and a half of or two years of training on virtually no pay. And it's just impossible. If you've got a mortgage and kids and things, you can't make that transition. So that was pretty desperate, really. I remember wishing I had, wishing I had a trade. Now that I'm a trainer, I've got a trade that I can sell, you know? And if I need some money or whatever, I can go and persuade somebody they need some training and I can do it. And I've got this thing that I can do in exchange for money. And that feels so good because when I was a manager, I just didn't feel I had something that I could really sell in a weird way. That was probably the low point of just wondering, you know, 10 years of being a manager and you can't actually do anything useful. But high points, I think, first being a lecturer at university and discovering that I just love teaching was a high point. And then first going self-employed and realizing that there's nothing magic about being self-employed. I mean, you still have customers and you just send them an invoice. And I remember copying an invoice that somebody had given me and just copying the format and sending it off to my first ever customer and then when the money came into the bank a few weeks later I just thought yes you know this thing works because because when you're employed you don't really have much to do with money you don't actually charge customers for things you just sort of do a job don't you and it was really quite weird to be that close to the money so it was a bit of a high point when I first got paid and I thought this this could actually work my other high point was getting a video onto LinkedIn Learning, which will not be of much interest to viewers of this, but but it was, it was really great to get onto LinkedIn Learning because you get paid every month forever, as long as your video course is on there. So being asked to make a course for them on project management and then seeing it live and then getting paid for it the first month, that, that whole process, that was a, a real high point. It, it gave me a thrill to be on there. But the weird thing is you can't predict what the high points are going to be really I think you have to sort of just explore the maze of life don't you and there's good and bad things around the corner although I funnily enough I don't believe in luck and what I said just then sounded a bit like luck but I don't think it's that because I think you explore the maze and you deal with the bad things and you don't let them knock you off course and you just think right I've been made redundant okay so you know how am I going to make this into something good and then the good things you have to grab them when they're there rather than thinking if only i'd done that i could have done that but i didn't and and i think so i I actually don't believe in luck because i think we all get dealt good and bad cards and it's whether you take them because i know people who've been knocked off course by one bad card for years they've used that as their their cross that they carry everywhere oh well i can't because of this and ah it's because of this and you've got to move on haven't you from the bad stuff
1: absolutely chris what i'm hearing is incredible resilience throughout your journey i'm that's what i'm hearing you know i
0: suppose i am resilient but because of stupidity really i think i mean i i look back and i've just been really stupid quite often i've taken risks because i didn't really think it through i mean when linkedin first asked me to make a training course for them i said no so that was stupid because i thought I can I, you know, I, I. said, "Where, where? Can I send you one I've already made?" They said, "No, you've got to come to America and be filmed." And I went, "Oh, I don't want to do that." And, <laughs> and they said, "Do you realise who we are?" And you know, and I was going, "Well, will I get paid?" And they went quite a lot. And I was like, "All right then." So I said no to start with. And then when I went there, I didn't really prepare. I just thought I could talk about project management all day. It's what I do. And when I got there, they had all these cameras and a director and a producer, and it was completely terrifying. And it was completely different to running a course. And I just thought I should have prepared this and, you know, looking back, but I guess if I'd thought about it more, I might've been too frightened to do it or something, you know, you you start thinking about the downside if you think about it too much. Mm -hmm. So I think I have been resilient, but it's almost like I wasn't very self-aware of how bad things were at times. And I've just blundered in saying, yeah, I'll do that. And yeah, why not? And something's got to change. So let's do this. And And uh, I'm not quite sure where the line is between resilience and stupidity. And I'm also not sure where resilience comes from. I mean, I think I've probably got a bit of a sense of entitlement because when I was little, my dad was in the Navy. And because he was always away, the Navy paid for me to go to a posh school. So I was packed off to boarding school at the age of seven. I think I've turned out quite normal considering. But But I think you do come out of there... A little bit probably emotionally damaged but also with a slight sense of entitlement of well of course it'll be all right and of of course I'll be treated well and of course it'll work because I'm me and and I think that's one thing you get from expensive schools is you get that confidence which Mm. is really valuable I mean I'm not recommending expensive I didn't send my son to a boarding school or anything I mean it's a huge amount of money and it's pretty barbaric or it was back then but I think maybe that was part of it I think my parents did a good job as well you know I think
1: oh my gosh I think yeah you're probably you're probably missing those younger years because you know to to say that that was potentially in in boarding school that that was what influenced you I think that positive attitude and mindset starts but younger it starts from that earlier age and yes I think you're you Sometimes we're born with it other times it's a learned thing from our parents from when we're very young and
0: yeah um, yeah definitely uh, i've cuz school quite often they just criticize you and put a red pen through the mistakes and tell you that you're crap and put you yeah. into the into 4b instead of 4a or whatever and i've got a granddaughter who's two called Cleo and we keep saying we keep calling her clever Cleo and we tell <laughs> her she's and when you tell her she's clever her whole face lights up you know and and you can see it all being recorded in there of yes I am clever and I remember when my daughter who's 31 now but when she was about seven I, she went through a little phase of I can't do it and nobody's my friend and things and I made her say out loud you know I'm clever, I can do what I want, you know, I I can do anything. And I made her say it out loud. And she only and we only did it a few times, but that is absolutely her mindset, even now. Yeah. She can do anything she wants to do. She's clever enough to do anything. And so I, I agree with you. I think what you feed into kids' brains from maybe the ages sort of two to eight, I think is hugely formative, actually. Mm. Uh, really, really is, and you know, things like maths. People have such bad self-talk about, oh, I can't do maths. Oh, I'm frightened of it, and and you just think we, you've just been told that, and you believe it now. Yeah. So I think what you say to yourself is is hugely important. The other thing I did, which may have helped my resilience, I, I don't know, was I wrote down some goals, and I somebody lent me a book about success, and it said write write your goals down, and the first list I wrote was all, all about money and cars and houses and stuff, because often in, in your 20s, you're quite materialistic and you think money's going to be the answer, you know, before you've realized life is finite. And when you die, you can't take your money with you and things. So I wrote this list and it, it all happened. And I found myself doing this really highly paid job in South Wales with a free car. But, you know, if somebody offers you lots of money in a car, you've got to wonder why, haven't you? And it's probably because the job's a nightmare. And it was a nightmare. <laughs> And so I remember thinking, this list writing seems to work, but I've written the wrong things down. Mm -hmm. So the second list I wrote only had two things on it. And it said, to do a job I really enjoy, and to only work two or three days a week. Because I was starting to realize you don't want to work six days a week on a job that you hate. I mean, that's just not a life. And yet a lot of us do it. And so two or three days a week, job I enjoy. And A a couple of years later, I ended up at at Bournemouth University in the business school doing teaching on the MBA course, but also running courses for local businesses here. And we did 100 days a year of contact time and 100 days a year is two or three days a week, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be a job that I loved. And I just thought it's happened again. You know, my my little my two goals that I'd written on a piece of paper and stuck on the fridge where I saw it every day has happened. So I'm on my third list now. And, and everything I write down happens. Yeah. And I know that's really weird.
1: It's not. Um, you know, no. but it's,
0: do you do that? Do you write goals down?
1: Yes, because I it do. it really I, works. Absolutely. And this is something I talk about to people all about, with people all of the time, because what happens is when you write it down and see it, what, your subconscious mind actively helps you move yes. towards achieving that goal. So yes. yeah, it's powerful. Chris, oh my gosh, we could like go off on a tangent and talk about so many other amazing things here. But what I really want to talk to you about today is to do with time management for solopreneurs, how people can become more efficient in their business and Avoid burnout because as solopreneurs, yes, ideally we'd love to work two or three days a week, but often what ends up happening is we we work 80 hours a week for ourselves because we don't want to work 40 hours a week for somebody else. Yes. So talk to me. You've got an amazing list of things to share with us.
0: Well, I think the first thing is if you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work. Mm -hmm. So... Last night, my wife went to bed at about half past 10 because she was tired. But I stayed up to about half past midnight because I was just doing something really interesting that I wanted to do. I was writing some blog posts and I was scheduling them on LinkedIn. And it all sounds a bit sad, but but I was just on a roll and I was feeling good and I was writing this stuff. And and so I was happily working till midnight. And, it, and I, you're not going to get burnt out if you love what you do, because, you know, it's not work. So. The search must go on for a job you love. That's the first thing. But I think most people who are entrepreneurs or are doing something they love. I mean, they really ought to be because that's probably why they went self-employed. I think a lot of employed people are doing stuff they don't love. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing something you love, it shouldn't be a, a problem. So that's the, the first thing I would say. I think the second thing I'd say is that is that saying no is really important I'm a bit bad at saying no, actually. I mean, it's this is on my mind because I'm trying to work on it. Because I think when you're self-employed, you always worry that the work's going to disappear. And certainly with something like training, you can be, you can be booked up for a few months ahead, but then it just drops off a cliff. Because nobody really books training courses for a year ahead, do they? They just think, let's do one. Around now, here we are in July, people are booking stuff for sort of September, aren't they? They're thinking, probably after the summer, let's do some training. But they're not booking stuff for next February. So you can look at your diary. There's nothing next year. And you can really worry. And even after 25 years, I still haven't quite learned that the work will come in. It'll be fine. You know, so it's very easy to say yes to everything. And if somebody wants a really badly paid job, a long way away on a difficult subject, you think, yeah, I'll take it. And then when you get there, you think, why did I agree to this? You know, I'm sitting on an aeroplane in Scotland and they're de-icing the wings and I'm going to probably be stranded overnight. And why did I say yes to this? So so I think saying no is really important for for everybody in life, not just entrepreneurs. But if you're going to avoid burnout, I think you have to work out, you know, which which the customers are good and which ones aren't and say no to stuff. And by the way, the best way, I think, to say no to work is to put the price up. Mm. to say I will go to Scotland by the way, I've got nothing at Scotland. I think it's beautiful. It's probably it's, it's, <laughs> I'm it's glad because ten- my,
1: my husband is Scottish. <laughs>
0: oh, is he? Yeah. No, it's 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 probably the second most beautiful country after Norway, which is almost the same. They're just stunning. But the trouble with Scotland is it's too far away from where I live and it's freezing cold in the winter. I'll go in the summer. So the answer is I will go to Scotland, but you'll have to pay me a lot. And and if you set the price right, then it does become worth it, because that might be the only thing you need to do that week, you know, so then you're not going to be burnt out.
1: And can I ask a question on that, Chris, because I know some people listening might think, you know, if I put the price up, they're going to say no, they're going to say that's too expensive. And maybe that's what you want. But then yes. if the price goes up and they say yes, does that create another dilemma?
0: <laughs> well, i i've in the past i've put the price up when i've quoted for places i don't want to go and they've said yes and i thought damn i wish i hadn't said yes oh no i'm gonna have to go now and that's a sign you didn't put it up enough because it should get to a point where you're you're actually pleased to go now that point might be higher than they're prepared to pay so just sticking with the scottish example they might say well i could get a local person for half that in which case, yes, you should get a local person because it's madness to ship me all the way up to Scotland when you've got somebody local. But, you know, if you really, really want me and you're prepared to pay enough, then then great, let's do it. But if you're not, I totally understand that. So so I think you should feel happy when they say yes, definitely. And that might mean quite a high price. But the other thing I, I've i been doing some sums and spreadsheets and things about this in fact I made a video recently it's on YouTube but you should put the price up until you lose half your business you should be losing half your business on price because if when you quote a price they always say yes that means you're leaving money on the table with every single customer I mean you know, suppose you say I'll do it for 100 pounds and they go yes it could be that that's the most they would have paid they wouldn't have paid 101 but it's highly unlikely you've managed to hit exactly that spot the chances are they would have paid 105 or 150 you know
1: yeah so- i love that i love that that's something yeah. that that comes up quite a lot and a lot of the women that i work with are much more conscious i think about the prices that they charge as well. oh, that's
0: interesting yeah yeah, yeah.
1: Um- my advice to them is usually, well, start high. You can always negotiate downwards. You can't negotiate upwards. So, you know, if you if you go in with a high price, it's easier to come down and meet somebody where they're at. If you really want to work with them, yeah. you don't have to. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. And if you do put your price up to the point where you lose half, you'll be making more on the half that you are doing. Yeah. And not just your turnover, but your profit.
1: Yes. You know, so
0: so if you're charging 100 and your costs are 90, you're only making 10.
1: Mm-hmm. And if you
0: put your price up to 110, nobody's going to notice. And, and yet you've doubled your profit. You're going you're, you're charging 110 and your costs are only 90.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you put your price up to 130 or something like that, you'll probably halve the amount of work you do, but your profit's gone up by a factor of four. Yeah. So you're making four times the profit on half the work. So you, you've actually doubled the amount of profit you're making. And you've halved the amount you have to do. So going back to the burnout thing, you're only working half as much. And also you're doing the good half mm-hmm. because because the people you lose on price are the ones that you don't want anyway. Oh,
1: agreed. Yeah, They're the ones
0: who, they don't really want you. They just want something cheap. Yeah. Uh, and, and they
1: complain more, right? They oh yeah,
0: all the trouble just, comes from those people yeah. because they don't understand quality. They're just obsessed yeah. with trying to get maximum cheapness out of you. Yeah. So goodbye to them. But what I'd recommend if you're thinking, oh, I can't possibly do that, is first of all, just do a spreadsheet and try it. Just just do a little what if mm-hmm. and look at the customers you've got and just think if I did put the price up, how many perhaps would I lose and how much money would I make? And you'll see it works out really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can find my video on YouTube about this as well. But, but also do some experimental pricing. Mm-hmm. So just only on Tuesdays or only for people whose name begins with Tea or something <laughs> put the price up by 10% or 20% and see what happens. And when they always say yes you because know, what happened with me when I started making these online videos I started getting some money coming in from those and I thought I don't need to work Fridays anymore so I'm going to get rid of 20% of my work. So I thought how should I do that? So what I did was I put the price up on the customers who I didn't really like for various reasons. put the price up and what happened was I, I put the price up by about 20 percent. so from a say from 100 pounds to 120 or from a thousand pounds to 1200 and of course what happened was not a single person said no they all just went okay then <laughs> and and i just thought first of all oh i should have done that five years ago <laughs> secondly well this is great i'm making more money but thirdly i still haven't got rid of these customers
1: no you didn't uh, want to-
0: Enough. No, so I've carried on putting it up and putting it up, and <laughs> and so if you do a bit of experimental pricing, you'll find that actually you can put your price up a lot more than you expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, you you really can, but try it. You know, yeah. don't just do it across the board immediately, but do it just try it on a few people and just. See what happens. You're speaking uh, my language, amazed.
1: Chris. I, I recently posted about this on social media because that's what I did in my business last year. So I went on holidays last year, read a book, and it, and it was similar to that concept that you've just referred to there. And when I came back then, I thought, I spoke to my business coach and I said, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, this is what how I'm thinking about going about it. What do you think? And I got coaching on it and all the rest. But essentially what I figured out was... If I serve only eight customers at a time and I serve those people exceptionally and I charge a higher rate, that means I work less, they get better service and I get paid more. Yes. Oh my gosh, like it's a no brainer, really. Yeah. And then I figured out, OK, well, actually, I can serve these people and get them the results they want so that they go through this transformation in a shorter period of time, which means actually I need to reduce the number of people that I serve at a time to six and not eight yeah. but that means then I can serve 12 people a year at a higher price you know and so on so- yeah
0: and you're serving fewer so you're giving them a better service so yeah. you could charge more which you are
1: exactly so it all sort
0: of just works doesn't it yeah. and you're so at the quality works. end of the market which is where you want to be with nicer better customers
1: absolutely so. all better no brainer no brainer wish i'd done it sooner (laughs) i
0: know i i advise everyone to do that and if annoyingly someone advised me to do it the other day he was going chris you should charge more you're too cheap and (laughs) i thought yeah i know but the thing is it's really hard to do it for yourself because if i was selling you this i could say look this pen is fantastic it's got a lovely writing action it's you know and i could do it but to sell me it's kind of embarrassing to say I'm great. You should pay more for me. Look how good I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got all these features. I, it kind of feels horrible and embarrassing and you know. So I I, it, I totally get that it's hard to put your prices up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you must.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I think you're not selling you, you're selling the solution. They company A has problem Y. Yes. And your company B who has solution Z. So, you know, if they have a problem and they're willing to work with you to solve it, well, then price usually doesn't factor at all. It's the overall.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, a negotiating course from from me could easily earn a company a million pounds or a project management course from me could save your your project from going wrong. And that's going to save you hundreds of thousands of pounds. And I worry about putting my price up by, you know, 50 quid. I mean, it's mad. it's mad because it's the value to them, not the cost of me. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it but still i sort of think what they're paying a thousand pounds for a day of me what that's madness you know and and then i think you know there's people working really hard say as a waiter or a waitress for a whole day on minimum wage they get a hundred pounds and and i get paid a thousand just to go and talk it's it's so unfair but you mustn't think about that you must just think the value to them is this so that's what i'll do and and then i'll give the waitress a bigger tip when i have my food and you know try and share it around a little bit i guess but it is it's weird the whole pricing thing of how much people will pay for stuff does take a while to get your head round. i think it's mm-hmm. difficult it's a difficult area but it's it's so important because it's the thing you can change instantly as well you can put your price up just like that i've yeah. done one other thing actually to help myself put my price up which is I get asked for all sorts of combinations. Like, can you do two days, half a day? It's a big audience, a small audience. It's in Ireland or Holland or America. How much will you charge? And so everyone, every course is different. And if I was just selling the same thing, I could have a price I stick to. It would be easy. But because everyone's different, I end up thinking, well... I like Ireland because the people are so friendly. It does rain all the time, but the people are so friendly. So, is it raining at the moment?
1: It's raining right now. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> we've got we've got sunshine here. I've had Oh, to thank it you, Robin. <laughs> uh, but that's why it's so green, isn't it? And emerald Isle. So, but anyway, so I. But I what I do is I tell myself it's going to be fun. It's great. I haven't been to Ireland for a while. Deirdre's really nice, and I talk myself down. I end up quoting quite a low price. And then you go, yes. And then I regret it because I think, oh, I've got to go all the way to there for only this money. What am I doing? So to help myself stay strong, I've made a price calculator. i got a friend of mine who's really good at Excel to help me, actually. And he just said, how much would you charge, really? Would you want to be paid to go to Ireland for one day, Ireland for two days, Holland for America for a day? And we just sort of did lots of thinking about what my lowest point would be for all these things and then we worked out what the formula was you know so for example to go to ireland for two days i wouldn't really want to charge much more than one day because i'm there already Mm -hmm. so so actually most of the cost is for my travel Mm -hmm. and i don't mean the cost of petrol but the pain and the hassle of having to take aeroplanes that's what i'm charging for
1: the am there
0: i I would do the talk for nothing really pretty much once i was there so so to go from one day to two days probably only like a hundred pounds more because i'm there anyway Mm -hmm. but but it'd be a few thousand to have to go on the bloody airplane so so it was really interesting to sort of probe into my head to understand my thoughts on the prices that i charge now there's what i want to be charged and there's what the customer will pay Mm -hmm. which are two things Because really you should charge whatever you think the customer would pay but you need to know your minimum price so i've made this calculator and then it stops me sliding down thinking yeah but ireland's really nice because i know i put in all the facts how many people you know how long is the session etc is it a subject i like or not and the calculator goes chris you must charge this and i don't want to disobey the calculator you know because it's kind of it's a fact you know so i've made a calculator which forces me not go below that point now i might charge more perhaps you know like if they were uh, like a very rich company or something i knew they had lots of money i might charge them more but i wouldn't go below this point now so the calculator is has increased my my strength and i've actually put it on my website for people to look at as well by the way
1: oh i Um, will definitely add the link to that yeah just
0: have yeah chriscroft.com have a look at chriscroft.com there's loads of stuff my blog is huge because i keep thinking of more ideas so just have a look at com. Have a look at my blog. All kinds of stuff on there. There's, there's lots of stuff about why you should lose half your business on price and all of that as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So my my next tip, though, if, about burnout is a, it's like a variant of saying no, really, which is to delegate. Mm-hmm. And so I've got myself a PA. Well, she's half PA, half VA, really, because virtual assistant because most people's virtual assistants are in sort of india or somewhere aren't they or the philippines but mine actually only lives just up the road but I, n- I never see her because well we meet occasionally but we don't really need to meet up much because you know we just do emails and messages and stuff she helps with all the routine stuff that i don't like doing and i'm bad at mm-hmm. you know so things like invoicing and booking hotels and making sure i haven't booked two things on the same date in my diary and stuff and remembering how much I've quoted people and stuff she just deals with all that stuff that I just am not very good at and you know you we talk about burnout but I think you can get really stressed by all the admin if you don't like admin
1: yeah and just
0: pay someone to do it yeah and you know so I have her for half a day a month no half a day a week sorry half a day a week so she's got like five other customers and she looks after the five of us and I think she works about Three days a week, but maybe one of the other customers has a whole day of her. I'm not sure, but I get half a day approximately, and it's great. And she just does all this stuff for me, and it only costs me a few hundred pounds a month. And part of me, the mean side of me, thinks, you know, 300 quid. Oh, Chris, you could save that and do it all yourself. But the point is, you know, how do you put a value on your time? You mm-hmm. know, because what she does in half a day would take me a whole day. So, what is the value of, of a day a week? of my life and you know it's almost priceless for to me it's definitely worth you know quite more than i'm paying her so so that's a good arrangement and i do struggle to delegate i struggle to let go but but it's just obvious that it's a better idea for her to do it you know if she's quicker than me and cheaper that's a no-brainer isn't it her hourly rate is a lot less than mine and she's quicker but even on things where she's slower I, can't, I don't know if there is anything. It's still worth it because she's cheaper than me, mm-hmm. you know and even if she was even if she was so much slower than me that it worked out more expensive for her to do it, it would probably still be worth it because it would still free up a day of my time that I could spend on the beach or with my wife or whatever I want to do so so yeah, so I do I think delegating something that's worth thinking about
1: mm, and can um, I ask on this, Chris because well, this has certainly been my experience when I managed teams in the past. And even now I've got two part-time VAs that work with me as well. And, you know, they're amazing. But my experience when delegating is that sometimes they're not going to do it to in the same way or to the same extent or at the same level as you do it yourself. Yeah. And it's a bit. It can be frustrating as, you know, somebody who likes things done a certain way or done right the right way. Yes. I'm using quotation marks here for anybody who's listening. But, you know, to at what level is it good enough to say, right, that's a good enough job? It's really
0: difficult, isn't it? I mean, I, I read somewhere that if they can do 80% as well as you, you should give it to them. Yeah. Because the last 20% is in your mind. Mm-hmm. So if she writes a message to a customer saying, you know, Chris is looking forward to seeing you next week, for the course because it's good to because that's a process I can automate she can do that to you know just to reassure them I haven't forgotten I'm definitely coming I I would write it slightly different to how she writes it Mm -hmm. and I am a control freak and I've pretty much told her exactly what to write but sometimes she writes it differently to how I would write it and I've just got to tell myself that's the price you pay for not having to do it Mm -hmm. and it's fine because the customer doesn't care how it's written you know sometimes i think she does things too well you know so i'm saying book me a hotel find me a half decent hotel somewhere near where the course is and she spends ages researching it and i'm thinking that's cost you know a bit a bit of money to do that it's probably cost 50 quids worth of her time let's say to do that and the hotel's only 100 but on the other hand you know it would have taken me an hour and an hour of me is more than 50 quid so you know it's still actually a saving but I'm thinking, why didn't she why did she spend so long? She didn't need to do it that well. But you just gotta let that go, haven't you? And you just gotta think, well, it's great that she's booking me a nice hotel and it doesn't matter in the end. But I do find delegating really difficult. You know, I, I am a control freak and I can't bear anything not to be done the way I would do it.
1: I think a lot um, of entrepreneurs are solo, solopreneurs whose business expands and grows as they start to
0: Yeah, because it's mine. She's that. doing what I used to do. Yeah. I, I think one answer is that. It sounds bad, I hope Claire's not listening to this, but if if she does the things that are not important, then it doesn't matter whether she does them a bit better or a bit worse than I, or a bit differently to how I would have done them. So booking a hotel is not that important. If I stay in a crappy hotel, it doesn't matter that much. Mm. The bit that really matters is the delivery of the training. And, and I still do that. So I plan what I'm gonna say and I make the handouts and then I actually deliver the training. So there's no risk of that being delegated and being worse, but all the stuff around it, if that's not done so well, it doesn't matter so much as long as it's done. And anyway, as I mentioned, she usually does it better than me, you know, cause I used to forget to confirm things or turn up on the wrong day and things like that. No, I'm not terrible, but when you're really, really busy and juggling a lot of stuff, you know, things can go wrong. So, so I think if you delegate all the peripheral stuff and you still do the core of it, then that would be okay.
1: Yeah, I agree. And so, I it's yeah. not even the price point either. You know, it's it's some of those things suck the life out of you. Like I used to yeah. be a bank manager and I hate doing my my numbers now. Absolutely hate doing my numbers now. So I just like sent everything to my accountant so I don't have to look at it. But like, I mean, yeah. yes, I keep an eye on where I'm like are that too. Every day. But it's like, yeah. it now sucks the life out of me. And that in, impacts me. When I'm engaged yes. with my clients. So it's easier for me to pay somebody else to do that so that I don't feel that way. Totally. So, yeah, there's, it's
0: almost there's... an essential. I mean, whether it costs more or not doesn't matter because you have to get it out of the way because it'll suck the life out of you. But it also frees you up to do even more of what of the core of your job, which that has loads of value. It's almost impossible to measure the value of being inspired and creating new products or services, having ideas or, you know, so if I don't have to do my accounts and I can write more blog posts, what is the value of those blog posts? And it's hard to put a price on because one of those blogs could lead to a massive great speaking gig in America for tens of thousands of pounds, you know? Yeah. So you've got to delegate the crappy stuff. I've got one other thing on my list here to mention, which is sharing the burden with similar people. And I think, you know, if anybody's feeling a bit stressed. So I, I meet up with other trainers and compare notes. And, you know, we're not competing because we teach different subjects. But but actually, even trainers who teach the same subject, it's great to compare how we do it because we're just mice sitting at underneath a huge table with, and crumbs are falling down to us. and And there's plenty of crumbs for everybody, you know, I mean you you only need 20 customers to live off and there's thousands of customers out there. So w- when I meet another trainer, I really don't feel like I'm a competitor. You know, we're, we're comrades in arms, really. We're doing the same thing. And so, you know, we compare notes on how you do it and the software you use and how do you do this and that. And, uh, you know, we websites and, and we look at each other's websites and say this bit, I don't understand. It's not very clear or, you know, this bit, the wording isn't right or whatever. And it's so useful. So I've set up, a, I think it's called a mastermind group. That's what people call it, isn't it? Um, and we, you know, there's a bunch of about six of us and we meet up every month or two and we actually have a curry. We go and meet and have a meal in the evening. And we all talk no. about, we call it the marketing curry because we, we're we talking about how we market ourselves mainly. We look at our websites and the emails and stuff and and ideas that we've got for new products and what price should we charge and all that stuff. And it's really great because you come away with a whole load of ideas. But also when people ask you what you're doing and what you're going to do, you sort of say, I'm going to do this and then you have to do it. You know, I'm going to put my price up and they go, OK, well, next time you can tell us how it went. So they sort of hold you to account as well.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But it's just good to have somebody to talk to, isn't it? And and so I I think setting up a mastermind group, very hard to join a mastermind group, very hard to find one, Mm. but just invite a few people who are. Doing something a little bit similar. Yeah, I, I actually I've got two actually because I've got my sort of trainers marketing group. I I do, but I've also got a millionaires curry club. So I I invited. I knew about four or five people who are millionaires, but just based on some of them I'd met because I'd done training for their companies, and some were just friends of friends or whatever. And so we would we would meet up and compare notes, and I was the only one there who was nowhere near a millionaire it was so good to spend a few hours with those people and they would ask me things and they would say, well, so why do you do it like this? And I'd go, well, it's cheaper. And they'd say, well, how much do you save? And I'd say, well, 20 pounds. And they would go, why do you waste your time on 20 quid? Cause they could see the big picture. They were like, well, why are you doing that? And I go, oh yeah, of course you're right. And so they made me think bigger you know they were like you should invest a bit of money and do it properly and you should do this and that and that pulled me out of my comfort zone and the millionaires curry club has been really good
1: mm, uh, don't they say chris that you know if you want to be a become a millionaire you need to surround yourself with millionaires so. totally
0: absolutely it's been rubbing off on me hugely it, it really really good because yeah. they just think big they don't they're not interested in trying to save money on small things it's all about growth and Big things, you know, the future. Visionary
1: stuff. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I really, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm totally on the same page with everything you've just said there. Yeah. And, and that's something that, that I've done. I started this year as well. It is a group mastermind program. So some of my clients who, who can't afford to work with me one-to-one, but who still want to learn from me and some of the things that I can help them with. I've got tools and frameworks and resources that I share with them. And then we meet once a week for one hour and we, you know, throw things out and what's happening, where do you need help and support? And, these are they're all peers There, are most of them are solopreneurs but it is that questions and answers getting the help and it's a lonely journey when you work by yourself or yes. and you know somebody once said to me years ago in in my banking career was the higher up you go the lonelier it becomes and it's yes. so true it's the same as a solopreneur you know and so I agree having somebody to share that with or you know, I've created this, I spent hours in it, it's not working, where am I going wrong? When you just yeah. can't see it yourself, it's amazing. And, and your
0: that. normal friends are no use at all because they've they got jobs. Yeah. So they they don't understand what it's like. And and so it's really important to have some entrepreneur friends who you can meet up and compare notes. I mean, yeah, it was interesting because recently my daughter said that, so my daughter is self-employed as well, right? And all her friends have got jobs. And she said that one of them, accused her of being money-minded because she was always talking about, but could you make money out of that? And Mm -hmm. what could you sell it for? And what would it cost? And would it be worth doing? And he said, it's so money-minded. And I thought that was really interesting because people who are employed often don't, they think about, they think about their pay a little bit, but they don't think about the profitability of their company or the product or how they add value to the business. They just are in HR or accounts or, planning or whatever department just doing their bit in the machine and they don't see it as a money generating machine they just think i'm that's my job and so they don't understand what it's like to grapple with all the financial things that we do i mean i i love being self-employed and i love being close to the customer and and close to the Not the money, but the adding of value, you know, so I don't have a problem with that. But I think your normal friends are not going to really help with any of this stuff. So have them as friends to talk about cars and football or whatever. But but you do need to have that mastermind group of entrepreneurs and you'll have to set it up. You'll have to invite people. But it's so good once you've done it and they can bring their friends so you don't have to know everybody in the group, you know, you can ask them who they know and if they want to invite somebody and it'll settle down to a sort of core of half a dozen like-minded people after a while. We have new people who come every now and then, but then they drop off again because they're not quite right for it, you know, and mm. but we've yeah. got our core of people and that they've, they've really helped me a lot. I hope I've helped them a lot as well. I mean, it's so great because we can all add things. And that brings me actually to my final point, which is re- linked to that, which is learning. Cause I think, I mean, Learning new stuff takes you slightly out of your comfort zone. You think, oh, do I have to? But actually, you'd be bored if you weren't learning anything new. I think human beings are, are kind of learning machines anyway. But I think particularly if you're an entrepreneur, you have to know a bit of everything. So you have to know how finance works and whether cash flow matters. and And you have to know a bit about negotiating. And you definitely have to know about selling. And, you know, you could hire a salesperson but if you can't do selling you're totally at the mercy of that salesperson and i think you know you've got to do the selling first and once you know you know you could perhaps get to a point where you could delegate some of the selling later but actually i think selling is almost one of the last things you should let go of because i think often the customer wants to meet you the actual person you know so it's very hard to delegate the selling but you can you can delegate as i mentioned all the, the pa type stuff and perhaps some of the production of 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 If you were manufacturing things, you could get people to make bits for you. But I think selling, you have to learn. And if you learn it and you become good at it, it's not stressful anymore. Because I think some people get burnt out by worrying about whether they've got enough work and worrying about proposals that are in the pipeline and, you know, worrying about whether they're going to get a big job or not. They have to get this big order or they're going to go under and things. But I think if you're good at selling and you've got lots of customers and if you lose a, I mean, if I lose a customer, I don't care because it just gives me a day off and I'll get another one. And, you know, so I think if you're, and it's mostly repeat works, so it's, and and the only selling I do really is inquiries that come in and they go, tell me about your project management course. And that's as near as I get to selling. And I go, well, it's really great because of this and this. And then I ask them, so why are you thinking of doing project management? And they tell me, and I go, Oh yeah, you really need my course because I can help you with this and this and I've got them then, you know? So, The whole art of selling of questioning and showing you can help them and you know showing them that the features you've got will give them the benefits that they need and all that stuff. So I think learning about selling is really important. And and learning about future trends, you know, AI, how can you use that and all the things that are out there and learning about all the stuff you can use your computer for. So things like learning how to edit videos. See, I I I put that off for years and about two years ago, I thought I'm going to have to learn how to use iMovie. And it's so easy and it's really fun. I love it. I spent half of yesterday making a little show reel of, of me. So I somebody sent me a whole hour of me talking at a conference. It's quite long. And I just went through and I picked a few little fun bits where I tease the audience or that get a laugh out of them. And I just went through and cut it up and made a little sort of two-minute show reel, which I have put on YouTube. You can look at it. And But it's such fun editing. I love it. And and that's really been useful because I can make things that will really help my business. And it means that if I'm being filmed, I know what it's like to be the editor. So that's useful to know, even if I don't end up doing it. Yeah. So I think always be learning and never think, oh, I can't learn to edit or I can't learn this or that. You know, I can't learn how to do things to my website. Because, yes, you can. WordPress or whatever. You can learn that. So I and- think. Always be learning.
1: Can I throw in something here now which might be completely opposing opinion to what what you've said? I do agree with always be learning. I wholeheartedly agree with that. But at the same time, it's been my experience because I've fallen into this pitfall and I've seen other clients fall into this pitfall as well, whereby they find amazing certificates or degrees or courses or programmes to go on. And they spend so much of their time engrossed yes. the course or the program to which results in something detrimental happening within their business because their attention is elsewhere. So where is the limit or cutoff point, do you think, when it comes to this learning?
0: That's really interesting. I'm writing this down because I actually thought of a blog post idea <laughs> of too much learning mm. because you can. I uh, Or the right I,
1: learning or the right learning. Well,
0: Yes, there's there's analysis paralysis Mm -hmm. where people say, "I need to know one more thing before I start this. I just need to check one." And and I'm thinking, no, just get on with it, just do it. And they spend like years before they ever do that. So there's that. There's also people who I think get hypnotized by celebrity coaches. Oh, I'm a huge fan of of Anthony Robbins, and and there's a bloke called something Cardin or something, isn't it? What's he called? But anyway, there are these there are these gurus out there. Some people think I'm one, but I not really. But there are these big name gurus who charge you loads of money for same old stuff, and and people there are some people who lap it up, and they're always going on one more course, and they're joining these little programs and. I think it's a good idea to have a coach, by the way. I Mm -hmm. think I would add that to the list of things to do to have a coach, but I wouldn't get hypnotized by the big name, expensive, very slick, very glossy people who draw you into their world because, you know, in the end, you can just spend your whole time on these programs and never actually get on with it and really do it. And so I think you're right. I think don't get hypnotized by the big name, glossy ones. Don't have analysis paralysis, but do just pick up the skills. I mean, quick advert for me you could my sales course on udemy you can buy it for 15 pounds and you just you just click and you've got it forever you can watch it as often as you like over and over again whenever you want and why would you not get that or get somebody else's if you prefer them you know just go on there search for sales i'm the top one but yeah but there's loads of good people (laughs) on there so you know for example brian tracy's on there who's a complete god Mm. and and his course is probably 200, but if you wait, they're, they're always reduced down to 15 every now and then on Udemy and snap it up mm. and and buy a, a new course every year. And, and why not read one sales book every year? Just buy a sales book for 10 quid and read it mm-hmm. because it's bound to. So, you know, those real practical skills that you need and negotiating is another thing. I mean, why would you not get a negotiating course from Udemy for 15 quid or, or LinkedIn learning mm. and, and watch that? and then you don't need to go on these big fancy things i remember when i left university some people stayed on to do a phd and i remember thinking you're just trying to avoid entering real life <laughs> you know you, you don't want to actually get a real job and get on with life and that's a bit harsh cuz you know some phd's are really important like you know scientific research but some people's phd's are just ridiculously obscure and who cares you know about the the design of of armor in the roman legions between 200 bc and 150 bc or something I mean, who cares so you know something like that i just but I, I think you're right i think sometimes learning is an excuse to avoid really getting on with stuff but but you've got to have the skills you do and 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 every now and then i go on a course and it just blows my mind and i think why didn't i know about this before Mm -hmm. you know i'm going to use this and i think you know right now i think i would sign up for some sort of ai course just just a one hour thing or go on a one day or half day course perhaps with somebody good and just learn all about what ai could do for you Mm -hmm. Uh, or or, or look on udemy but you know there's probably enough free stuff on on youtube You know, I've got a
1: free you. chat GPT training on my LinkedIn feed that you can go yeah. in and have a look at Chris. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Cause it is, I mean, yeah. it, it is fantastic. And you can get it to rewrite stuff you've written, or you can shorten stuff that you've written or stuff you receive. You can say AI make me a shorter version of this. Cause I can't be bothered to read it all. You know, even things like yeah. that, which everybody could use that. Yeah. And it can automatically generate blog posts or ideas for blog posts, which mm-hmm. I, I haven't used it for. Because I've got enough ideas in my own head, <laughs> but I could imagine it could be good for that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think learning, I, I don't know whether that helps with burnout, but I think it could because I think if you're getting burnt out, it could be you're banging your head against a wall that doesn't have to be there. Mm-hmm. You know there are probably answers. So you can learn from the mastermind group, but you can also learn from training courses made by people like me, and you know, video courses made by people like me because, My job is to go out there and hoover up everything and then present it to you in a little nice neat package for 10 quid, Um, you know, and why would you not?
1: Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, and that's why people, for anybody listening, if you're banging your head against a brick wall and not getting there, that's the point. That's why you do a learning course. It's so that you can accelerate the solution to that problem faster without having to spend hours on YouTube or yep. chat GPT trying to figure out the answer. You, you buy the program or the learning course to accelerate that solution. Right. Yep.
0: And, and these days it's all about what's in your head. Yeah. So the money you earn or I earn, it's totally about what's in here. Gone are the days when muscles helped. I mean, obviously, there's a few jobs that still require muscles. But but really, for most of us entrepreneurs, it's all about being smart, uh, r- r- working smart rather than working hard. Mm. And if you're working hard and burning yourself out, it probably means you're not working smart. <laughs> Although it could just be that you're smart and hardworking. It could be that you're too greedy. And maybe a final thought is... I know we're over time on the time is, is maybe to not think about the money, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I've been doing talks to schools and they quite often say, what's a well-paid job, you know, and I'm like, don't start with the money, you know, start with what you love and what you're good at, or, or they go, well, you know, so how can I make money doing that? And, and the answer is, I, I just think start doing something that customers will want. If it adds value, the money will follow. And so, I think if you start being too obsessed with the money, you might work too hard or you might end up doing stuff that is not for the best for the customer. Mm -hmm. And I think that will destroy your soul ever so slightly, you know, because if you're doing stuff you believe in, I'll never get burnt out because I'm doing stuff I believe in. That's fun that I love. And it, some of it makes money. Some of it doesn't. And you don't actually know what's going to make the money and what's not going to make the money. Actually, it could be hard to predict. Mm -hmm. So just do the things that you like just so you know my my biggest source of income is courses on linkedin learning right and originally that came from the fact that they contacted me because of my project management rap that i made on and i put on youtube so i made a rap that says make a plan before you start always have a gantt chart you know break it down break it down i made this ridiculous project management rap
1: and
0: it's just it's it's really really stupid but It's sort of clever and it does actually tell you all about project management in five minutes with this music going on behind. And that led to LinkedIn Learning contacting me saying, we saw your rap, but we also looked at some of your more sensible stuff and we think you might be suitable. Would you like to come to America to be filmed? And that's when I went and didn't prepare and luckily got away with it. And it all came from the rap. Now, I didn't make the rap for money. You know, I didn't even think the rap would lead to money. I just did it because it was fun and I thought it was good. And so in the end, I think you've just got to throw loads of stuff at the wall that you think is good, that might add value to people. And and the money will follow. You know, something will, will work. I
1: completely agree. And, yeah, like when, when the focus is so much on money, as the business grows, it leads to a toxic culture and can cause people to... Yes behave in ways that are contrary to your values that can damage your reputation and so much yes. more so yeah completely agree Chris, I mean, you have got to watch
0: the money you spend i suppose haven't you you don't want to yeah,
1: you got you, you don't want
0: to be crazy and waste money but adding value to the customer is that you've always got to be doing that
1: I love that. That's so customer centric and completely aligns with my values. But let me see, have I got all of your points right here? And and if I've missed any. So do something you love. Yeah. Say no. And put the price up. Yeah. Cut 50 percent of your customers. Yeah. Delegate. Yeah. Share the burden with similar people. Yeah. And always be learning.
0: I think those are my top points. I'll probably think of another one just after we finish. <laughs> but, but I, yeah, I think I, I think they would be the top things I would say to somebody who was a bit starting to burn out a bit.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, they were
0: just working really, really hard and and running to stand still. Probably putting your price up's to number one though, isn't it? If you're running to stand still, you're not charging enough.
1: It's yeah. got to be that amazing, Chris. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Any final thoughts or points as we wrap up?
0: No, I think that's great. Uh, well, I mean, my final thing is so do it. you know do if you're it. if you're wondering whether to do a little self-employed business, you've always wanted to do it, absolutely do it. why would you not? You only live one life, you know, for a lot of us, it's half gone already. You've got to do it. Just do it as a side hustle. do it in your evenings, just try it. You even do it at work. So if you've always wanted to try training, just offer to give a talk to new starters on part of the, you know, to see whether it feels good, you know, but just start doing it. And if it feels good and you think it's a goer, then start building it up and maybe even go part-time. But absolutely, it's the best thing I ever did, and I wish I'd done it sooner, is going self-employed. That's my final thought.
1: Amazing. Chris, thank you so, so, so much. <laughs> and I'm going to share all of Chris's links in the show notes so you can check out all of the things he's talked about here today. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, Chris.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Wow. What an enlightening discussion with Chris Craft today from his journey of resilience to those counterintuitive strategies that help stave off burnout. It has been one insightful episode. A huge, huge thank you to Chris for joining us and sharing his wisdom and experiences. I know I've learned a lot and I hope you have too. Remember folks, it's not just about the money. It's about the value you bring and the passion you have for what you do. So let's take these tips from Chris and put them into action. Do something you love, learn to say no, maybe even cut 50% of your customers if you're brave enough delegate more share the burden with similar people and always be on the learning path i believe in you and your ability to master your business the journey may be tough yes it is but remember resilience is the key and before we wrap up this episode i'd like to remind you to subscribe rate and review the master your business podcast your feedback genuinely helps us serve you better and helps other entrepreneurs discover the podcast too And don't forget to share this episode with a fellow entrepreneur who might benefit from some of these insights today. We're all in this together. All right. That's it for today's episode. We have many more exciting guests and topics lined up for you over the coming weeks and months. So stay tuned. Until next time, this is your host, Deirdre Martin, signing off. Keep mastering your business. You've got this.